0: And uh, I I know the Lord is not limited um, by our ability to be here or not be here. And if you're at home watching, I mean, the Holy Spirit can be with you at home, and that's totally great. And uh, so this is really good, and uh, I'm excited about what the Lord's got today. And you know what's really cool? We have been talking over the past number of weeks about the Holy Spirit, right? Right about the power of the Holy Spirit and trying to understand who he is so we can be comfortable not fearing him, not not afraid that he's going to make us do things we don't want us to do, and, and all this stuff that the Holy Spirit is known to be, people are known to be afraid of him for. So that's why we're talking so much about him and all of his attributes. And so we're talking today, we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And you know what the fruit of the Spirit is today we're talking about? Peace. What a great time to be talking about peace. When we have such turmoil right now in the world and such uh, fear in the world, what a great opportunity, what a great time to talk about peace. Peace in the midst of everything. It doesn't make any difference what the time is. It's peace. It's time for peace. It's the spirit of peace. So we're going to talk about the fruit of peace today. Um, and I think it's important that we talk about as we started last week to talk about one of the primary reasons that we are to intentionally grow fruit and that we are to cultivate fruit is because it's it 's what the Holy Spirit wants us to have because it 's what God has. Larry, would you throw up the slides for us please this morning the the definition of fruit let's talk about that again this morning. the definition of what fruit is now we know what what they are but the definition of why does God give us fruit why I think is because of this the char- could be of this the characteristics of God that he wants us to exhibit in our life so that we are effective in building his kingdom here on earth so that we can share an eternal kingdom with him later in heaven so why do we have fruit today? Because it is the characteristics of God. It is who God is. And so he wants us to have those characteristics so that we can be effective in building the kingdom of God today. And as we're effective doing that, we're encouraging others as well to grow that fruit into their life. And so when we do that, then we're all going to share in the eternal kingdom of God in heaven for all of, for all of time. Thereafter, all of eternity. So why do we need the fruit? So that we can fulfill our responsibility of conforming to his character and his standards of holiness. Man, I think that's so important that we recognize that we are to conform not to who we think we should be or not to our perception of what we think we should be, but we're to conform to his godliness and to his holiness so that we can have relationship with him. Because we know that the Bible says that God is spirit, and we worship God in spirit and in truth because he's holy. Therefore, we have to be holy. We can't have relationship with God on our terms. The relationship we have with God are on his terms, and it is of holiness. We're going to find today that the fruit of peace is very tightly woven in the fabric of godliness and holiness. That they are just going to go together. We're going to find that we really truly can't have peace unless we are holy and we're godly. We're going to discover how important that is. Peace is a byproduct of holiness. Without a desire to live a holy lifestyle, which means that we're forgiven and that we're redeemed, One cannot have peace until we're forgiven and redeemed and and, and in right relationship with the Lord. It is impossible for us to have true peace. Now, the world would give a sense of peace and the world would give a sense of quiet times and contentment. I understand that, that there you can gain that a little bit. But that worldly peace will not sustain you through. The coronavirus. It will not sustain you through the financial collapse that could come from coronavirus. Uh, That kind of worldly peace is all based upon what is the world going to give me? How am I going to live in this world based upon the worldly conditions that I'm living in? And that peace, if I gain that level of contentment from the world, when the world falls apart, I'm going to fall apart because I'm basing my peace on what the world can give me, right? Does that make sense? Nor will that peace, even more importantly, nor will that peace be there in the end when you see Jesus face to face. Because there is going to come a day you're going to see Jesus face to face. It may not. It it, it all depends on our relationship with the Lord today. Am I going to see Jesus face to face right now at at my moment of death? And that's the case. If I see him there, it's going to be a good thing because he's going to be welcoming into the kingdom of God. He's going to be saying, well done, put your name in there, well done, you were faithful to the end, come on in and share your master's happiness. If I don't see him then, I'll see him later. And then that'll be at the great white throne judgment at the end of time, and that is when all people will be resurrected for their final judgment. And at that point, he's going to say, I never knew you, depart from me, not a good place. That's when he says, Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. So you will have that time with Jesus face to face, but it all depends on how we're, uh, we're looking at godliness and holiness today. Is Am I trying to, am I doing my best? Have I asked Jesus to forgive me? Am I in that place of eternal peace because I have a relationship with the Lord? Or am I, w- am I banking my future on worldly peace? which is so fleeting and so insecure. So we're going to talk more about peace today. What is peace? Peace is defined being in a state of quietness and serenity, possessed and anchored in a confident, relaxed tranquility. What great words. Independent on the circumstances that surround us. Let's read that again. Let's Listen to the words. Peace is defined as being in a state of quietness and serenity that's anchored in a confident, relaxed tranquility. (laughs) And here's the beautiful part about it. It's independent on the circumstances that surround us. This means that we can live in a state of peace No matter what the circumstances of life are, no matter what's going on in the world, I can live in a state of peace because it's a fruit of the Spirit and it is a a supernatural fruit that we're developing and that we're growing and that we're asking the Holy Spirit to come in and give us more of it. It's a beautiful thing. Now, I want to talk about an example, and I found it, a really perfect example in Scripture. In the life of Jesus, what better person? Mark chapter four, verse thirty-seven and through thirty-nine. Mark chapter four, verses thirty-seven through thirty-nine, and and let's read this story, and we'll talk about how peace is uh, uh, very evident. It says, "And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat." so that it was already filling. Let me back up in just a second here and give the context. Jesus had been ministering, had been uh, preaching and healing and doing things, and he said, we have to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So he says, come on, guys, let's get in the boat. We're heading over. And so this is where it picks it up. He says, but Jesus was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. So let's go back and complete the story here. They get in the boat and everything's good when they take off and they get halfway out in the, in the sea or in the big lake. And all of a sudden the big storm comes up and it's a vicious storm. And these disciples are afraid to they're afraid that they're going to die. And Jesus is in the boat, sleeping in the back of the boat, because he's exhausted from ministry. And they're fearful, so they wake him up and say, hey, Jesus, don't you care if we die? Don't you care what's going on up here? Where are you? And uh, so Jesus takes control of the situation, and he says, peace, be still. And the calm comes, the wind stops, and the waves immediately stop and they're amazed because here we have Jesus that is not only uh, able to help them in their peace, and their storm, but even the waves and the wind obey him, which is pretty amazing when nature can be controlled with a spoken word. So and here's the thing, many of these disciples were fishermen. They were familiar with the open water and they'd been in this lake many times and they've probably been in many storms But yet this one was that bad, it was so violent that they were even scared because they were afraid of dying. And so they were in real danger. This was not just a conceived or a perceived fear. This was really a bad situation. This was very dangerous. And things like today, it's dangerous and it's really real. And we need to be careful with that. But I want to talk about a couple things here that we can get here and that Jesus was in the boat with the guys. He was sleeping in the back of the boat because, um, first of all, it shows some of Jesus' humanity because he was tired. He had been ministering all day, been working all day, and now he gets in the boat and he lays down, and uh, he just fell asleep because he was exhausted. So he was fully man at this point. He was tired. He's in the back of the boat, sound asleep. He wasn't standing on the shore looking at them and saying, hey, guys, why are you so afraid? You know, I mean, he's not standing on the shore like that and just you know critiquing and maybe... Uh, Getting after the guys for being fearful because he was right there in the storm with them. Now there was another time, however, that he did send his disciples out across the lake, and he stayed back, and they were out in the on the boat by themselves. And again, another storm came up. But what we find so interesting here is that Jesus still didn't leave them alone because Jesus came out to them. This time he was at so he was at such control of the situation that he came walking on the water <laughs> to them in the middle of the storm. So talk about peace talking about being in command of the situation, it's one thing to say peace be still and the waves die down, another thing to walk on the waves. Pretty amazing. It proved that peace in the storm is possible even while it rages. Notice that the peace came in the middle of the storm. They didn't have to wait until all the wind was died down and the waves were gone before the peace came. The peace comes even in the midst of the storm. And I think one of the key things we should take away here is that peace is available to all of us. Peace is available to those that would have true faith in God even while the problems of life are still evident. It's really important for us to recognize, isn't it? That peace comes even in the middle of the storm. That's the beautiful thing about having a relationship with the Lord. Now, I think it's interesting that if... This situation would have happened a little bit later in the lives of the disciples because this was early on in their relationship. Jesus was still relatively new on the scene. They were still getting to know him. They were still being taught by him. They were still um, in their mentoring process. So they were new converts, if you will. They were new in the faith. But if this would have happened a few years later, possibly, maybe after the day of Pentecost and after they've been filled with the Holy Spirit and maybe after they've had the power of the Lord and they've seen that, they may not have been so fearful. Maybe their, their spiritual maturity would have been more able, better able to keep them and give them peace in the midst of the storm. And the other thing we have to realize is they didn't have the Bible to read. <laughs> they couldn't go to the end of the story like we can because we can read Revelation in the end and say that we win, right? We win. They didn't have that. They were were living it in the moment. But if they could have had time under their belt a little bit like we do, maybe they would have had a little different response to it. But here's a couple things that are really important. They knew they were in the will of God and the storm still came. So I think maybe there's a couple things we can learn from this for us. That if Jesus is in it, if he's in your life, if you are in the will of the Lord, if you've been praying and asking God for his purposes in your life, if Jesus is in your life and, you're in, and if he's in your heart, you will get to the end. If Jesus is in it, we can be sure we're going to get through it. Amen? If Jesus is in it, we can be sure we're going to get through it. And here's the other thing we can pick up on too, is that even if Jesus is in it, there's a good possibility we're still going to have problems. Even if he's in the storm, because Jesus was in the middle of the boat, so they could say, well, Jesus, you're in the boat with us, therefore this storm should never have risen in the first place because you're in the boat with us. Can I just tell you that there is no promise in the word at all that you're going to have smooth sailing, even if Jesus is in your heart? In fact, the Bible says in this life you will have trouble. So you can expect to have the storms in your life. Even if Jesus is in your life, you're still going to have the storms in your life. And I think it's really important that we, at it, 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 we, that we recognize that peace as well is in no way is living in a state of denial. That we don't live um, denying the fact that I'm going to have a problem. That I don't live denying the fact that I might be sick. Denying the fact that I that I have a financial issue, denying the fact that I have a maybe even a mental issue, that I I I have sickness in my my health and my emotions and my relationships. We're not denying the problems because the problems can be very real. And we're not making them up. The truth of the matter is that to live in peace, that we need that it requires a person to be totally into his or her relationship with the Lord and living in a proper spiritual relationship with him. So we're not denying problems. We're not saying, no, that's not really true. It's not happening. I'm, I'm living in a state of denial. No, if I want peace in the situation, I get peace in the situation because I have a pure relationship with the Lord. The disciples had a pure relationship with the Lord. Therefore, they could have peace in the midst of the storm, even though they were afraid even though that Jesus had to prove to them his power to say, peace, be still. It didn't deny the storm. The only way a person can truly live in peace is to have the assurance that they have this foundation that is unshakable. It's unshakable in the relationship with Jesus. This foundation I'm talking about is given in Isaiah chapter 32. Verse 17 and 18, and it says that, and this righteousness will bring peace. The righteousness of the Lord will bring peace. Yes, it will bring quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in safety, quietly at home. They will be at rest. Wow, what a promise. That even in the midst of the storm, that if I have a righteous relationship with the Lord, if I am holy and living a godly life, that I can be assured of peace in the midst of the storm. That my people, it says, will live in safety. They will be at rest. Now, how do we do that when the world is all around us, is so messed up, and the reality is it's not going to get any better? I mean, we just have to realize where we're at in the times that we live in, that this is just the first of a few things that are coming. I don't know what the future holds, but I will tell you when I look at Scripture, when I read prophecy, that this is not... We're we're not going to get better. The world is going to continue to spin out of control according to our standards. So how do we do this? How do we live in peace when the world is all messed up? Well, we have to live in peace by stripping away everything in our lives that would keep us from trusting God completely. Think about this for a minute. Hebrews chapter 12, it says that, And we throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles as we run the race marked out for us. So if we're going to have a peaceful life, if we're going to have a relationship with the Lord, our responsibility is to throw off everything that hinders or anything that would, it it may not even be sinful. It just may be something that is in your life, maybe too much of a priority that you're trying to gain things through your own efforts rather than really trusting in the Lord. So we strip away everything that would keep us from trusting completely in God. A person that plays the game of living for Jesus without truly understanding what it means to take up one's cross and crucify the flesh is never going to able, be able to really recognize peace. Now bear with me here because this is going to get a little ugly. Um, Patrick Walton from Kansas City IHOP said this a while ago. And this is a a quote. I want to read this to you. You can read it with me. It says, If you're struggling in your ability to live a life of victory, understand why. The reason is Jesus is trying to kill you. Now, listen, hang on here. Jesus is trying to kill you. He's doing everything he can to kill the flesh man in you, to crucify those fleshly desires, and everything that keeps you from completely surrendering everything you have and are to him. It's like we said earlier that in James it says that the first thing we need to do is submit ourselves then unto God. We have to submit everything we have, everything about us, we submit ourselves then unto God, And then we resist the devil, and then he flees. But if I don't submit all my life unto God first, the devil's not afraid of me. Because I and myself do not scare him. (laughs) He is not afraid of Mike Way. He looks at me and laughs. He says, I can take you out in a heartbeat if it's just up to him. He would. But thank the Lord that he is protecting me. So if I'm going to have the devil fleeing me in my situations, I have to submit myself unto Christ. How do I do that? I do it as the way Patrick Walton is suggesting it, and that is that I have to nail my flesh to the cross. And that's what Jesus is doing for us. He's trying to kill the natural man in you. He's trying to kill the the flesh man in me. My sinful desires, anything that would hinder me, Jesus is saying, I want that out so that I can come in because I can't cohabitate with that. I can't cohabitate with a known sin. If you're going to have that known sin, then I'm out. I can't be there because I'm holy. And if you want me there, you have to be holy with me. And now together we can work this thing out. The way I look at this is kind of like a remodeling process. How many people have remodeled a house? Okay. Now, when you remodel, Tom just went through that whole process in his house. Let me ask you the question. How messy does it get before it gets looking good? I mean, before, you, before your house is going to look good, it's got to get really ugly. It's got to get really dusty. you got to take up the old floor, and you got to, and you got to knock out the drywall. And it looks bad because you see all the framing, and you see all the insulation, and you see the wiring, and you're seeing the, the bare necessities of how ugly it is while you're in the remodeling process. And that's what Jesus is doing right now to us. He's stripping us bare, and it's going to get a little bit ugly maybe in your life. Because you're going to see some things that you don't like. That's the truth. The Bible says the truth will set you free. Well, the truth is your life is that it's ugly because it's got sin in it. And as long as you've got sin in it, the Jesus is saying, I can't cohabitate with that. So let's get that cleaned out. Let's go strip the house clean, and it's going to get ugly in the process. And then as you start rem- getting that done, and then you start the remodeling process, then you start adding things back, new drywall, new floor, all these things, put a little paint in the drywall, and all of a sudden you're thinking, man, it's looking good now. It's getting better because you went through the ugliness, you went through the process of cleaning out the old to bring the new in. And that's what it means to submit yourselves to Christ. And when we start doing that and when we continue to do that, peace will rule. But if I don't do that first, peace can't be there. My Bible commentary says this about the source of fruit namely joy and peace in this area. It says, when the giving of God's word comes to hearts that truly desire to obey it, okay, there's that desire that we have to have to obey it, the result will be a true and heartfelt joy and peace. God shows us through his word how we are meant to live and how we can find real peace and fulfillment. This joy And peace of the Lord is based on the assurance that we have been forgiven and restored to a right relationship with God. We finally begin to know that we can fulfill our highest purpose in life. Man, that's what has to happen. We have to submit ourselves then unto Christ. And if I am holding anything back from God, if I'm still trying to hide some areas of my life from God and expect a life of peace, can I just say it's not going to happen if you're not willing to give it all to Jesus, you will not have peace. God is not into a life of compromise. He's not negotiating a peaceful life with a person that isn't willing to completely surrender to him first. Amen? Now let me just stop here and make a couple of clarifying points so we don't get ourselves in a situation where we can't find peace. Because this is not indicating that we have to Attain a life of perfection because you and I cannot be perfect in ourselves. But what it says is that I have to be in a life of repentance. I have to recognize sin when it's there and I need to deal with it and then I need, I need to repent of it and I need to walk away from it. I can't give it a pet name, I can't give it a place in my life. I can't say, Oh, that's just my character, that's just who I am. I can't blame it on my gene pool. No, I have to recognize that my gene pool is sinful and I need to, and I need to recognize that and take care of it. And any under, any underlying sin that's in my life that I'm protecting, I need to strip it bare. I need to crucify it on a cross. And that's not perfection. It's just forgiven. And then living in a life of repentance. Does that make sense? Because I know sometimes we get mixed up there sometimes we the enemy will play because he will give you a super he he will he will take you to the other extreme to make you legalistic and say you have to be perfect in legalism and there's no freedom there either there's no peace in legalism the peace comes from relationship the peace comes from knowing that I'm forgiven so we're to pray a prayer like this in first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 it says may God himself hear this the god of peace Wow. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we talked a few weeks ago on the power of sanctification. Sanctification and justification. Sanctification is the process of setting yourself apart from sin. So hear what this passage is saying. Hear what Paul is saying to the Thessalonian church. He says, may God, the God of peace, sanctify you, or set you apart from your old life of sin so that you can have peace in your life. You see that how that happens? It's a cooperative effort that we're needing to be in a continuous sanctification process and or a setting-apart process so that the things of God can work through and through in our lives so that our whole body, our soul and spirit can be kept blameless before God until the coming of the Lord. This is the kind of life that is at peace with the Lord. This is the fruit of the Spirit called peace. God is a God of peace. And when he works in us to do what he wants to do, it just multiplies peace in our life. And it gets more and more peaceful. And more and more great things come as a, re- as a result. Hebrews chapter 13. It says, at beginning at verse 20, it says, Now may the God of peace, there it is again, The God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep. This is what he's going to do. This is how he's going to help us. He's going to equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's not my ability or your ability. I just want to take that level of pressure off of us because we cannot do it on our own. God is for equipping us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to take care of everything in our lives so that he will do the work that will be pleasing to us and to him. We need to recognize that we are together working. It is a product of our choosing to allow the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our lives so that it can spill over to the lives of other people. Fruit is so much more than just me enjoying it. Fruit is ability to nourish you, and you nourish me. It's multiplied many times over, and how we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. You see, on the other hand, if I'm not willing to do that, if I'm a poser, if you will, or if I'm, if I'm playing the game of Christianity... And if I'm really not a follower of God, but yet I am calling on his peace, I really am wanting him to give me the peace that he says he's going to give me, but I'm not really uh, doing as he's asking me to do. Do you think you're going to have peace? Do you think peace is a byproduct of that kind of lifestyle? No, I, I think you're going to have more things. I think you're going to have things more like fear or discontentment or anxiety or stress or strife, because you're going to know what you should be doing, but you're not doing it. Therefore, you're going to be stressful over it. Once again, the the choice is ours to make. Dr. Alex Ness, in his book, The Holy Spirit, writes this. Can you read that? It's kind of small. It says, Peace, as a fruit of the Spirit, does not come because of an absence of trouble, worry, or anxiety the peace of which we write comes, remains, and matures as a result of Christ's vicarious atonement or his forgiveness for us. And then because of our living in right relationship with God, since our peace is not on secular things, then the same secular things cannot take away peace. Boy, listen to this. This is really good. If money, security, friends, governments, and others are not the source of our peace, then the absence or failure of these things does not take away our peace. Isn't that good? If my peace is rooted in Christ, then nothing can take away my peace. No matter what's going on in this world, I can live a peaceful life. That's awesome. That is powerful. That is about relationship. Now let's talk about some practical matters here. How do we live in peace? All right? We live in peace. By believing the word of God. Psalms 119, verses 165, verses 168. Isn't that something to that that chapter? has that many verses? Psalms 119, it says this. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. I wait for your salvation, Lord, and I know your commands. I obey your statutes, for I love them greatly. I obey your precepts and your statutes, for all my ways are known to you. So go back to the very first, pa- uh, first sentence of this passage. It says, Great peace have those who love your law. Great peace are, have those who obey your law. Great peace have those that are obedient to what you're asking us to do. Peace does not come through disobedience. Peace does not come through living the way I want to live. If I'm going to have peace in my life, then I need to learn to apply God's word in it. All right, another area of how do we have peace is live in peace with people. Live in peace with people. This could be a little bit more difficult. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish. One another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So we are to do it all. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, as we are members of one body. We're called to peace. Now, what's interesting here is that we all know the body, our physical body. When we're when one part of our body is aching, the whole part, the whole body aches. If I got a sore muscle, my whole body aches. Uh, It just the the body just um, feels the pain, no matter where it's at. A spiritual body of believers called the church is the same way, in all honesty. When the church, when the body of Christ isn't feeling good, the whole body feels it. We we need to have unity in the body of Christ if we're truly going to have peace. Um, We need to have a teachable spirit in our lives. As a body of Christ, we need to be able to have a teachable attitude because I can have peace in the body, even in stressful situations. Now, why do I say that? Because look at this passage. Look where it says, as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Now, this is kind of an interesting passage because I thought peace was going to be something where we were all going to like each other. And we were all going to get along. When I look at this, I look at the Greek word admonish. is defined as to warn and to instruct. So let's think about that. If I'm going to have peace in the body of Christ, we often think that this means that we're going to have no confrontation with people. That we're not going to have any challenges between people. That the body of Christ is just going to be an automatic, peaceful place where we're going to always agree. But that's not what this word is saying at all. The word admonish says... And it's a word we don't use very much, but it is to warn or reprimand someone firmly. Wow. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So we're to admonish someone, we're to, uh, other words for admonish is to rebuke or to scold or reprove or to chastise, to reproach, to lecture, to criticize, and so on. These are all synonyms of the word admonish. So it's pretty obvious here that peace is a product of some diligent work and not simply a lack of anything that would give us unrest. We're going to have problems in the body of Christ. People are people. And we're still going to have arguments. We're going to have disagreements. And we need to be wise in how we do this because we need to go to God's word and let God's word be the settling of the argument. And we're going to have to go to God's word and then through that, we're going to have to admonish one another. Somebody may have to rebuke you or me. We have to be willing to be hear the truth of God's word. We need to be willing to know that I need to be instructed and I need to live in an attitude of, of being, taught, being teachable so that I don't justify my bad behavior. Even if it's constructive criticism, nobody likes it. Do we? <laughs> we don't like to be criticized, so what we will typically do is justify our behavior so that we don't have to deal with the truth. And I will say that there's no peace there that's what God's word's saying that if we're called to peace that we are to teach and admonish one another and when we do that peace comes back to the body It's that remodeling process. It's going to get ugly maybe for a little bit. We're going to have some confrontation. We're going to have to deal with some things, and we're going to have to let the spirit of truth come in and and tell us the right thing so that we can have peace in the body of Christ. Because if I just ignore it, if I pick up the, the old proverbial rug and sweep everything under the rug thinking it's out of sight, out of mind, know that it's going to come back later, and it's going to be harder to deal with later, so let's just deal with confrontation up front. And let's just let the peace of God rule in us by dealing with it in a godly way. I think it's very important that we recognize that so that we truly can have God's peace, that we understand what God's word is saying about this. Because there are going to be hard times, and and when they come, love love has to be proven, and love needs truth to be told. Love requires truth to be told in a way that is helpful and constructive. Not critical, not judgmental, not saying I'm better than you or you're you're not as good as me, none of that nonsense. It has to be told and we have to be able to receive it well if we're going to have a relationship that's strengthened and that peace will continue to rule. Amen. That's really good. All right, so how do we maintain peace? That's continuing another one. How do we live in peace? By a practice of prayer and thanksgiving. Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There are a lot of things in life that we just don't know the answers to. There's a lot of questions we have that we just don't like. So here's what you do in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, you present your request to God. And that can also be your honesty in saying, God, I don't like it. I don't like what, what's happening. I don't like this illness. I don't like it. But I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to present it to you so that you could then give me the peace of God which transcends all my understanding. I don't have to understand it for peace to come in. I'm just trusting you in the process. That's big, man. When we can really get to that point where we can be praying about everything, whether we like it or not, and then accepting God's peace when it comes, however he brings it. The world will rock your boat, but when it rocks your boat, get down on your knees and pray about it. Get down on your knees in the belly of the boat when it's rocking all around you and pray about it. In every situation, don't panic and throw up on everything around you, but first go to God in prayer with a heart of thanksgiving and be and honesty. Go to the Lord and just tell him how you feel. I really encourage you to do that because he can handle your feelings. And then be ready to choose peace because when God brings it to you, don't think it's too good to be true. Don't think, well, when the next shoe drops, it's going to be worse. No, when he gives you peace, say, thank a minute. Even in the times when it's tough, be thankful. Yeah. Jackie, would you come and we're going to conclude here in a minute. But I just want to encourage us today as we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit that we would joyfully learn how to accept the grace of peace in our life in every situation, no matter what is happening in our life. And I want to pray today that we all can get through the hard time of living peacefully in, in no matter how complex life is. Life's hard, I get it. But when we come to the Lord with a petition of peace in our life, he's faithful. he is faithful and he will give us the peace. And I want to leave you with this. John chapter 14, verses 23 through 27. It says that Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make my, our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So let's stop here for a minute. This is the instruction that Jesus is giving us. If you love me, he says, then you will obey me. Don't question God's word. Don't question it. Just obey it. The quicker, you learn, the quicker you come to a point of obeying God's word, the quicker you're going to come to a peace in your life. Don't argue it. Don't try to justify it. Don't try to convince them otherwise. Just say, okay, Father, that's your promise. That's your word. I'm just going to obey it. And then he gives us the promise that our Heavenly Father will come to them. And he says, we will come to them. Who is we? It's the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit will come, and they will live with us. These are God's words, and I just encourage you. Now, don't argue with them. Don't argue with what what God says. Let's read on, beginning at verse 25. It says, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And here's here's the key verses. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. That's that worldly peace we were talking about earlier. I'm not giving you that peace, the Holy Spirit says. He says, so do not not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Man, Ah, God is so good. The God is so good and his promises are so true that no matter what is happening around us that we can live in peace. We can let the Holy Spirit be that teacher for us and that advocate for us and that peace giver. Amen? Yeah. I know life is hard sometimes and it's really difficult maybe to overcome this, but I just want to pray with you this morning and I want to pray for our community and I want to pray for our world today and our government and all the stuff that's going on right now. What a timely message that we would learn how to have peace in the midst of turmoil. In the midst of everything, we can have peace would you just close your eyes and pray with me? Father, we just are so thankful that your promises are true and everlasting. As we talked about in Sunday school today when Jim talked about you never change. Things change. Times change. But you are everlasting. And you never change. And your promises never change. And the fruit of the Spirit never changes. Love, joy, peace, patience goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all these fruit of the Spirit are here forever and ever. Amen. Because that is who you are. And God, I am praying that we would learn to invite and learn how to grow and to multiply this fruit in our life. So I just pray, Father, for anyone this morning that is really um, fearful, that is really um, maybe just overwhelmed by the things that are happening around them. Maybe their bank account is getting low. Maybe they don't have all the provisions that they think they should have. God, I pray that we are putting our hope and our trust in you as our source of peace, not in ourselves. I thank you for your mercies and your grace. I thank you for your power and your strength. I thank you for your promises. And I just call them to be completely fulfilled in our lives. And I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey Amen. Let's just sing the song that Jackie and Tom are playing and we'll use this as our time of closing today.
1: As for the water so my soul.
0: Father, we just thank you today for that promise. Lord, our desire is to worship you today. In all things, we give you praise and glory and honor because we know that your day is coming soon. And it won't be long, and we're going to be in the presence of Jesus forever and ever. And we'll look back at these times as great opportunities of how they've increased our strength and our faith and our promise in you. So, Father, I pray peace now. I pray peace in the lives of your people. God, that you will just reign supreme and there will be a a level of peace that the world will want to know where is this coming from and that we can let that peace flow into the lives of others around us today as we go into our lives, we go into our homes, we go into our jobs tomorrow and into this world with peace in our life that it would be an evident sign of who you are in us that we then could then encourage others to know who you are as well and I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said with me, amen, amen. Go today and have peace in your life today and enjoy life, it's good, it's a good life, amen.